I, I think I preached so long in the other service, I ran out of battery. I don't know what happened, but uh, <laughs> how's everyone doing this morning? Good to see you all. We want to welcome you to Arden first. If you are visiting, you're a special guest. Our mission here is to lead ordinary people into extraordinary life in Christ. All of us are ordinary, but when we encounter Jesus, he makes the ordinary extraordinary. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you how good you are, and we can just pause in your presence no matter what we're going through, that your goodness invades this place, every heart, every life. God, I know today we're going to talk to those of us who are broken. I know some people are in need of a miracle, a breakthrough. So, Lord, as we look into your word today, I pray that we wouldn't leave here the same, but we'd leave different. And we pray your blessing would be upon your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How many of you have ever wondered why other people get the blessing and sometimes you get left behind? Anybody ever wonder that? The other person gets the job promotion, you get passed over. The other person gets healed, you don't. The other person gets the raise, you don't. Anybody ever been there? Am I the only one? Well, today's message is what happens when someone steals your miracle. We're going to read a very interesting passage. It's the only miracle I know of where it's interconnected, two miracles interconnected to each other. And as we read this, it appears that someone's miracle just gets stolen by an unnamed, unknown woman. And we're going to ask this big question today in your life. Do you really believe that Jesus can and you fill in the blank? I know that many of you came with great needs. Some of you it's physical. You need a healing from God. Some of you it's financial. Some of you it's emotional. You're going through stress, anxiety, depression. Some of you are in the sunshine of life. Everything's good and I'm happy for you. But you have people in your life that are going through tough times. If that's you or someone you know, say amen. So today we're going to look into a passage where I believe that God sent you here to listen to this because I think most people that we look at are as someone that is in need of God's grace. God just to break through, to do something extraordinary. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 8 and verse 40 if you have your Bible. If you didn't bring your Bible, we will have it on the screen. Starting in verse 40, if you'll follow along with me. So it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. Before we get to verse 41, last week we talked about Jesus going to the other side, the Gentile side of the Sea of Galilee, and how, you remember, he cast out the legion of demons into the pigs, and people liked the pigs better than the person that got healed. Isn't that strange where people like pigs better than people? And they asked Jesus to leave. So Jesus goes back to the other side, to Capernaum. At one side, they told Jesus to get out of here. The other side, they were waiting for Jesus. Isn't it interesting how Jesus is celebrated by some and pushed away by others? Verse 41, And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, And she was dying. But as he went, the multitudes thronged Jesus. Now a woman, having a flow of blood for 12 years, who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any, she came from behind and touched the border of Jesus' garment. And immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, Who touched 
me. When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng you and press you. And you say, who touched me? But Jesus said, somebody touched me, for I perceived power going out from me. Now, when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched Jesus and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler of the synagogue's house came, saying to him, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him, saying, Do not be afraid, only believe. I want you guys to say it with me. Do not be afraid, only believe. And she will be made well. And when he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John, and the father and mother of the girl. Now all wept and mourned for her. But Jesus said, do not weep. She's not dead, but she's sleeping. And they ridiculed him, knowing that she was dead. Jesus put them all outside, took her by the hand, And calling said, little girl, arise. Then her spirit returned and she arose immediately. And he commanded that she should be given something to eat. And her parents were astonished. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. May God bless his word. So today I want to briefly talk to you about what do you do when it appears that someone has just stolen your miracle. What does it look like when you're in desperation and someone equally desperate comes in and breaks in line? The only way I can, I haven't really had this type of thing happen to me. The only way I can explain it, have you ever been waiting in line at a restaurant or grocery store or a ball game and someone cuts in in front of you? You know the reaction of like sickness, like what did you just do? I mean, you just got in front of anybody else like that. <laughs> multiply that by a hundred and you can see what Jairus is feeling. His daughter is dying and this woman just cuts in front of him and seemingly steals his miracle. So today I want to present to you six things to do when it appears that someone steals your miracle. Number one, don't let the crowds keep you from your miracle. I love how Jesus arrives back on the other side of the Sea of Galilee And the multitudes are thronging him. They're so excited. Jesus is back. You know, it's interesting how Nazareth rejected him. They they wanted to kill him. So Jesus goes to Capernaum, and everyone loves Jesus there. And then he goes to the other side, and they're wanting to get rid of him. So everywhere Jesus goes, he has a mixed reaction. It's kind of like the parable of the four, four soils with the different heart responses to the message. So he goes back where everyone is celebrating him. But notice that the two people that got touched didn't let the crowds crowd Jesus out. And I find it fascinating across the American landscape, people by the thousands and tens of thousands attend church every Sunday. And how is it that only a few people get touched? Out of such a multitude, only a few people have a life-changing experience. And that's what we see in this crowd. Jesus is surrounded by perhaps thousands, but only two people get healed at this moment. 
when there was potential to heal many more. So the multitudes should never keep you from connecting with Jesus. In a world of, last time I counted or heard the count, 7 billion plus people, it's easy to think that, you know, God's got too many concerns to worry about me. Have you ever, like, prayed for a parking spot and then felt bad because there's someone suffering with cancer? And you're like, I shouldn't pray because there's bigger, bigger concerns. Or, you know, my problem's really big. Doesn't Jesus have to deal with ISIS? You know, and it's like, think about it. Isn't God big enough to handle your little issue as well as ISIS on the other side of the, the world? Isn't he big enough to handle your small issue and someone else's big issue? Don't ever think that your need is not important. God loves you individually and uniquely as though you were the only one. Because his love is too big to contain. His compassion is contagious. His faithfulness is eternal. Don't let the crowds keep you from Jesus. Can I hear? Uh Uh-huh. Number two, don't let your pride keep you from your miracle. Don't let your pride keep you from your miracle. In college, I had this friend that I would say, by my estimation, he was a little cocky. Um, He... You know, really tried hard. I think he tried a little too hard. And, you know, I tried to encourage him to not be so cocky. But let me tell you one of the stories from his life that he kind of had a wake-up call. Uh, He got invited. He actually went to, anybody ever been to the Grove Park Inn? There was like this dance, high school dance um, situation. And he didn't get invited, but he went anyways. Any of you ever went to a party you weren't invited to? It doesn't often turn out so well. So anyways, he was trying to impress this date, my friend was, and he wore prom tucks to this dance. I mean, trying to really stand out. And as he was dancing, his pants started falling down. And his date looked over like, what's going on? And what had happened is the back of his pants had split. And he had to go the entire dance with cummerbund as the, as the belt. And unfortunately for my friend, after the date went so bad, he, the girl didn't want to date him again. And, I, you know, I look back and I'm like, you know, he, my friend really didn't understand that the pride and trying to be a little cocky wasn't really good for him. Have you guys ever met anybody that was that way, got humiliated? Well, that person was me. And, <laughs> and you know, I, did, I didn't know why she didn't want to date me after, which I'm glad she didn't because I wouldn't have met Lori, right? So, but here's the thing about pride. Pride is you making yourself look better than you are, and when you do, it makes yourself look worse than you really are. You ever think about that? And Jairus had everything going for him. He was the ruler of the synagogue, which basically means he would oversee the synagogue in Capernaum. He would make sure the scripture was read and there was a rabbi or someone who taught. He would make sure the facilities were clean. So he was a very important person. Generally in the Jewish culture, this person would usually be wealthy and had a prestigious position. So here you have this very prestigious man falling at the feet of Jesus. And he's begging Jesus, I need you to heal my daughter. My daughter is going to die. And I just wonder how many of us let the poison of pride keep us from a miracle. We we just don't want to lower ourselves too low to ask for God's help. If you look at your listening guide, look at James 4, 6 through 10. It says, but God gives more Grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the what? Proud. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Whenever you humble yourself before Jesus in the midst of your great misery, Jesus lifts you up in the midst of his great mercy. See, here you have Jairus, 
who most likely is very wealthy. He has a prestigious position. And last time I checked, not all the Jewish leaders liked Jesus. In fact, by this time, many Jewish leaders were trying to kill Jesus. But because he had this need, this great need, he humbled himself. And I'm wondering how many miracles we don't get to experience because of pride. You ever thought about that? Because it says he gives more grace, but when we're prideful, he resists us. So let me ask you a question about miracles. Is getting a miracle, is that a grace gift? I mean, think about grace. It's not getting, it's getting what you don't deserve. Do we deserve a miracle? Do we deserve God to step in and heal or help or change our situation? We don't deserve anything other than hell. And that's where God's grace comes in and he forgives us. So James tells us if you want to be a recipient of God's grace, you have to humble yourself. And Jairus is the picture of that. He's coming down at the feet of Jesus, saying, Jesus, I need your help. Number three, what do you do when someone steals your miracle? Number three, go after Jesus with a sense of urgency. It says, verse 41, And behold, there came a man named Jairus. He was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell in at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter who was about 12 years old, and she was dying. can't imagine. My daughter Kira is on the front row. I can't imagine having a daughter or a son dying. I just, I can't even put myself there emotionally. But some of you may have experienced that, a son or daughter that dies before their time. But this was his only daughter. And some scholars said this may have been his only child because it doesn't mention any other children. And 12 years old was the prime of life. The Jewish culture, at 12 years old, you go through the bar mitzvah and the bat mitzvah. And that was the sign of coming into adulthood. So this girl was at her prime. And believe it or not, ladies and gentlemen, you could actually get married, usually 13 or 14, if you met the right guy. Or your parents arranged it for you, I should say, in that, that culture. So here you have someone coming at their prime that was dying. She was far too young to die. So if you had an urgent need, wouldn't that require urgent faith? It's interesting in my, my ministry, I've seen some people that had the faith to be healed and they pleaded with God. And then I've met some people that really didn't have that sense of urgency. And it's hard to think that God's going to heal someone if they don't have that sense of urgency. And let me ask you a question as a Christian. If you are a Christian and you're sick and you pray for healing, does God answer your prayer? It's yes, it's just a matter of when. So here you have two women, a very young girl coming into adulthood, and Jesus heals her instantly after she dies. But then you have another woman, she's sick for how many years? Twelve years. It took twelve years. I can imagine her praying and asking God for twelve years. And then when Jesus did heal her, he healed her instantly. So what does that look like for the Christian? Well, sometimes it looks like God heals someone supernaturally. Other times it's a process and it takes time. It takes trusting in God, working through the doctors, working through the the different avenues of health. And sometimes he heals us when we get to heaven. Do you ever think about that? Sometimes when I prayed for someone and God took them on to heaven, I don't think God didn't answer my prayer for healing. He answered ultimately because they're now forever healed. Because think about it like this. We talked about this a few weeks ago. If God kept healing you every time you got sick, you'd keep getting older and older, and you would be away from your forever glorified state. 
where you got a new body that never got sick, never got hurt. So in some ways, it's God's grace letting us go on so we're healed forever. Amen. So here you have this daughter. And here you have Jairus. My 12-year-old daughter is dying. What produced Jairus' urgency? Well, he was the leader of which synagogue? The one in Capernaum. That's where Jesus had his headquarters. So let me list off a few miracles that he saw. In Luke 4.31, Jesus cast out a demon in the synagogue. So Jairus most likely was there and saw that. Um, in this same area, we see, remember the guy that was paralyzed, that the four friends climbed up on the roof and let him down? This happened in Capernaum. So I'm sure Jairus probably heard about that. Peter's mother-in-law, you remember she had the fever and she wasn't doing well and Jesus healed her. That was in Capernaum. And just a few weeks ago, we talked about the centurion's servant. And by the way, the centurion was the one who built the synagogue. So you know Jairus knew the centurion because he was the ruler. So you see how everything is interconnected. Did you realize that your faith can give birth to someone else's faith if you're open and receptive? You believing in God can inspire me to believe. Faith can often give birth to faith. So I want to encourage you to believe with the believers and don't doubt with the doubters. Because if you hang out with doubters, what does that encourage you to do? Doubt. But if you hang out with believers, it encourages you to believe. So Jairus goes against a lot of the other Jewish religious leaders. And this produces a sense of urgency. He said, my daughter is dying. So urgency tells you this. You tell yourself, I'm going to keep moving towards Jesus until he moves towards me. I'm going to keep going after him until he turns around and he touches me. Until he changes me, until he heals me. Number four, what do you do when someone steals your miracle? Believe that God rewards bold faith. Believe that God rewards bold faith. Look what happens next in the story. While Jesus is on the way to heal Jairus' special 12-year-old girl, this unnamed woman hijacks his miracle. And the scripture doesn't tell us Jairus' emotional reaction, but I could tell you mine. Who is this woman? I would have been upset. I'm just trying to be honest in church. I would have been really upset, especially when my daughter died. And this woman, she's okay, but my daughter's not okay. She's well, but my family's not well. So this, this woman comes in, and I want you to notice the contrast. And this is how God loves everybody. It's like the song, Jesus loves the little children, red, yellow, black, and white. They are precious in his sight. Look at the contrast. Jairus is most likely rich, and this woman is poor. In fact, this woman is doctor poor. You've heard of land poor. Well, she's doctor poor. She spent all her money on doctors. She has no health coverage, so she's run out of money. Jairus is known and popular. This woman is unknown. Jairus is the leader of the synagogue, and guess what? This woman, she can't even go to the synagogue. You see the contrast? Because she has this discharge of blood. She is rendered ceremonial unclean. So he's known, she's unknown. He's the leader of the synagogue. She can't even come. Jairus has been enjoying the last 12 years of life. It's been so beautiful with his daughter until she got sick. And this woman has been suffering for 12 years. But Jesus meets them both at their point of need. Let's look at this woman's description. She has a hemorrhage for the past 12 years. She spent everything and ended up nothing. And Luke, the doctor, the physician, would like you to know 
that she spent all of her money on doctors and she got no better. She did the unthinkable. She reached out and she touched Jesus. She touched part of his garment. This is where the tassels, the Jewish culture, they had four tassels on each corner. And each tassel was made of blue thread. And that reminded them to walk in God's law. So a Jewish man would wrap this garment. And some scholars believe it was the tassel when it was wrapped around. It was at his back. So she reached out and she grabbed it. And what's amazing, when she grabbed it, what happened? She was healed. She was made well. She had a boldness to move through the crowds. And she touched Jesus. Now, here's my big takeaway, and if you guys don't remember anything, I want you to remember this point. I had never saw this in Scripture until I studied this. I never saw it in the Bible. So it's amazing when you, when you dig in Scripture, the new things. But the woman set a tangible contact point to release her faith. So she set a point of tangible contact. She said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, what? I will be made well. And so look what happens. Jesus, did he say... You touching me made you well? Did he say you pressing through the crowds made you well? He said your faith has made you well. So his garment, I hate to, hate to spoil some of your news, his garment wasn't magical. It was the faith. And this is not the only incident of this. You remember when Jesus healed the blind man using mud? He caked mud on his eyes and he told him to go wash in the pool of Shalom. Was there a magic in the mud? Was the mud magical? No, there was no magic in the mud. It was a point of contact, a point of tangible contact to release your faith. In James 5, 14, it talks about when someone's sick. The sick person's responsibility is called the elders of the church, and they're to do what? Anoint the person with oil and pray, and it says the prayer of faith will save the sick. Now, let me ask you a question. Is, is anointing oil magical? Is it the power in the oil? No, it's faith. So this is a thread I've seen through Scripture, and this really has been blessing my soul. Whenever you want God to do a miracle and a breakthrough, it helps to set a tangible point of contact to release your faith. So you wonder why churches have altars and people go down. Is there anything magical about an altar? No. It's a tangible point of contact to release your faith or to release your repentance, whatever it is. So throughout Scripture, you see people having breakthroughs. When they see something and they release it at that moment in time. It's, it's what the old timers call nailing down a stake. I'm going to trust God. So the woman set a tangible contact point to which to release her faith. And when I, when I saw that, I'm just like, wow. How many of us need that tangible point, that reminder that this happened to me? How many of us can remember back in our lives when someone prayed over us, laid hands on us? There wasn't nothing magical about the hands. It was that tangible contact point when they and we release their faith together. Isn't that beautiful? So, I was reading a story about Bill Bright. Many of you heard of him. He's the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ. And he was leading this nonprofit ministry and the goal was to share the gospel with, with others. So he had set up this meeting with this very wealthy oil man in Texas. He was an oil tycoon, made it big and he was the owner of the company. And as he walked into this man's elaborate office, the oil man tycoon said, Mr. Bright, what can I do for you? You know, he's probably thinking Bill's going to ask for money, right? Why would you set up a meeting with a, a very wealthy oil man? You know, typically people do that. So 
Bill said, the Lord laid you on my heart to ask you, how's your relationship with Jesus? He didn't ask for money, he didn't ask for anything. How's your relationship with Jesus? And this very wealthy, prestigious guy in Texas started breaking down in tears. He said, I have not been to church in 30 years. My family has left me, my wife's left me. Everyone thinks I'm a success, but I'm a failure. And Bill Bright was able to lead that man to Christ that day. Sometimes it takes this sense of urgency. Sometimes it takes a sense of bold faith. If we want to avoid a breakdown, we have to have a breakthrough and break on through through faith. Amen. So believe that God rewards bold faith. Number five, what do you do when someone steals your miracle? Don't let your circumstances circumvent your faith. Don't let your circumstances circumvent your faith. Look at verse 49. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. At this moment in time, Jairus' world just froze. And I, I don't know what it was like. If it was like one of those, people call it kind of, it feels like you're froze and you're, you're looking at your situation and life is not moving I don't know what Jairus is feeling, but there was a point of devastation, shock, that this woman who is unknown now has stolen my daughter's life. My daughter is dead. So notice what happens next. Jairus has two options. He can either walk by faith or walk by what? Sight. Walking by sight says she's dead and there's no way she's coming back. Walking by faith says Jesus has the final word. So there may be some scenarios in the church today. Some of you may have gotten a doctor's report and it's not promising. The doctor has said this is the reality, maybe for you or for someone you love. Sight says the doctor has the final word. Faith says God has the final word. You can walk by faith or by sight. Another scenario, some of you, maybe a long time ago, Felt the Lord put on your heart to do something huge for God. I mean, it could have been something, you know, like teaching a Sunday school class or starting up a women's ministry or helping the homeless. Whatever it is, something that's going to make an impact. And time has gone by. The years have passed. Sight will tell you you're out of time. You don't have the energy you did back then. But what does faith say? First of all, God, forgive me for not obeying you. But second, God, what would you have me to do now? And God, if you're calling me to do it, I don't care what age or stage, I'm going to go for it for you. We can walk by faith or by sight. One more scenario, you know, the church is growing and reaching people. And, you know, we want to do more, but we just don't have the resources. We don't have the volunteers, the personnel, the money. Walking by sight says we can't do it. We don't have the money. We just go by the budget we did last year. Walking by faith says if God is calling us, Where God gives the vision, he gives the provision. Amen. Hebrews 11, faith is being confident that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us great assurance about things we cannot see. Don't let the reality of your circumstances overturn the confidence of your faith. Going by sight is based upon what is. But faith is based upon what could be. Because who God is and who he wants you to be. Amen. Finally, number six, and we conclude at this point. Do not be, what? Afraid. Only 
believe. So Jairus' world has just crumbled to the ground. The people that he's connected with that come from his house says, your daughter is dead. And I can imagine echo, dead, dead, dead. All hope was lost, lost, lost. But notice how Jesus dealt with the bad news. Look on your listening guide. Number one, Jesus didn't dwell on the bad news. I find it fascinating. Jesus didn't rebuke the people that gave the bad news. Jesus didn't debate them. He didn't even address it. He said, don't be afraid. Only believe. And your daughter will be made well. Number two, Jesus didn't get discouraged by the bad news. As I mentioned at the beginning, you can doubt with the doubters or you can dream with the dreamers. You can believe with the believers. Sometimes you have to create a distance between you and the doubters because the doubters are always produced doubt and discouragement. Don't hang out with doubters. Don't let them be in your inner circle because they will discourage you. Number three, Jesus addressed the fear of the problem. He said, do not be afraid. Did you know outside of the fear of God, that's the only healthy fear. Every other fear cannot exist with faith. If you feed your fears, you will starve your faith. But if you feed your faith, you will starve your fears. So Jesus said, don't be afraid. You've got to conquer fear. Don't be afraid. Number four, Jesus stoked faith in the midst of the problem. He says, only believe. If you'll just believe in me, with me, anything is possible. And number five, Jesus spoke promise when others were speaking problems. There's many in the church here that run businesses. You have companies. Some of you are school teachers. And one thing that you often tell your employees or the people that you work with, whenever you present a problem, you have to present a <laughs> Aren't you glad that Jesus takes a problem and he gives a promise? He says, your daughter will be okay. She will be made well. You just believe. Notice that Jairus did only believe, but biblical belief is not sitting on your blessed assurance. You know how it is. I'm just going to hold on until Jesus comes. I'm just going to trust God. I'm just going to wait. Biblical belief is not an intellectual ascent. It's moving forward in faith. Notice what Jairus does in this text. He keeps moving forward. He takes Jesus with him. He allows Jesus to come into his house. He allows Jesus to come into his room. He allows Jesus to heal his daughter. Biblical belief is not sitting there and doing nothing. Biblical belief is believing Jesus and going with him. Amen. So it's interesting how the professional mourners are there. And they're crying. They're so sad. By the way, they got paid to cry. How many of you would be good at that job? I, w- I would not want to get paid to cry, but some of you love, you know. So they got paid, and when Jesus came, he said, she is not dead. She is what? Was Jesus wrong? I mean, the girl was dead. Why did he say she wasn't dead? What, what's interesting is the Bible uses the analogy of sleep for the believer. Jesus was absolutely right, because when the body dies... Your spirit doesn't. Your soul doesn't. It's the imagery of the body going down to the ground, and one day you're going to have that resurrected body. So it's the idea of this body's gone to rest, but guess what? I've gone higher. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So here's the imagery I think that will help you, and this will bring encouragement. How many of you enjoyed naps when you were little kids? Anybody? What is it that little kids do not like naps? 
I can pontificate to my daughter, Kira. I can say, you need a nap. She said, I don't want any nap. And she excuses. I mean, how many of you are kids or grandkids? They don't like naps. But as you get older, have you noticed that you enjoy naps a lot more? <laughs> I mean, it's like every time you get a chance. And what's the purpose of a nap? When you wake up, you feel refreshed. See, here's the idea of a Christian dying. It's the idea your body's gone, your body's dead. But just like a nap, momentarily, you wake up refreshed in the presence of God. Just taking a nap. And now I'm refreshed. And by the way, when you wake up from that nap, you'll never get tired again. <laughs> so that's the imagery of the Christian. So let me close with this, with, with this thought here. What's the connection with 12 in the Bible? The little girl was how old? The woman had been sick for how long? Twelve. The Bible doesn't tell us. So this is what I call sanctified speculation. It doesn't tell us, but this is according to Timothy. So you can disagree and you'll be okay. But the same year when Jairus' daughter was born, another daughter began to die. The same year when Jesus walked through the woman that had been sick for 12 years and the girl that was 12 years old, the author of life walked through and he healed the woman that had been sick for 12 years and the little girl that had been died and she was 12, he rose her again. So in my research, I discovered that the number 12 sometimes represents a number that's associated with the ideal government or rule in the Bible. So you read through the Bible, how many sons of Jacob were there? 12. How many tribes of Israel? 12. How many apostles did Jesus have? 12. How old was Jesus in the temple when he began to be about his father's business? 12. When the new Jerusalem, the heaven, talks about in Revelation, how many gates does it have? 12. The city will be 12,000 stadia, which if you look at the translation, that comes to be about 14,000 miles cube. And in our calendar, how many months do we have? So you think of 12 as ideal rule the way things should be, restoring things back to order. So this is just me. But perhaps Jesus who brought God's government to the kingdom of God to earth, he walked by that day and he saw the woman that was sick for 12 years. And because she pressed through in faith, he said, I'm going to restore order back to her life. And there was a little girl that was hitting the prime of her life. She could be married in just another year or two in that culture. And in her prime, she died. And the author of life said, I'm going to restore life so she can live out her life. And by the way, her living out her life wasn't so much for her, because heaven's much better than that. But perhaps it was for those around her, the testimony that she would have. So in conclusion, the sermon in a sentence. Faith turns man's worst reality into God's greatest promise. Faith turns man's worst reality into God's greatest promise. So today, we learn that when someone tries to steal your miracle, number one, don't let the crowds keep you from your miracle. Just two people got healed that day, but there could have been more. But two people reached out. Number two, don't let pride keep you from your miracle. So next time you go to Grove Park Inn, just remember, when your pastor was 22 years old, he learned an important lesson that day. Number three, go after Jesus with a sense of urgency. You know what? I think of Jairus humbling himself. I think of the one pressing through the crowd, and he did it.
Number four, believe that God rewards bold faith. Hebrews 11:6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. But if you come to God, you must believe that he exists and that he's a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. Number five, don't let your circumstances circumvent your faith. Yeah, you may have gotten a bad doctor's report. Yeah, life may be hard. But remember, God has the final say, not man. And number six really summarizes the whole sermon. Do not be afraid. Only believe. So dear friends, family in the faith, no matter what happens to you, let God do something in you. Let him speak peace. Let him speak promise. Let him speak the word that no matter what happens, in the end, you will be okay. The worst thing that could happen to you or me is dying. But that's the best thing that can happen to the Christian. So it's going to be okay. Be encouraged and trust in the Lord. So we're going to, I'm going to close this in just a moment. A few instructions after we pray. I'm going to be up the front with Stephen and Tom. And also Miss Judy's going to be over here as well. But Stephen, Tom, and I are going to be the physical point of contact for you if you need healing. Now, we're not promising that God's going to heal you, but the Bible says if someone is sick, you can call the elders of the church, and they will pray. And what that's doing is it's you releasing your faith. Now, God may choose to heal you right then. It may be a progress, or God could say, my grace is sufficient for you. Just trust me. I will eventually heal you. So God does heal you. It's just a matter of when. But I don't know about you, but I want a little gyrus inside of me. I want a little woman with the issue of blood that's going to reach out and say, if I can just touch Jesus. So it's not any promise that God's going to do something instantly, but it's you finding a tangible point of contact in which to release your faith. So we're going to be at the front. If you just have general needs as well, Miss Judy will be up here to pray for you as well. So let us pray. Father, your word is powerful. It's true. And God, we hold your promises. (laughs) And God, we don't want crowds or pride, lack of urgency, lack of faith, circumstances, or fear to keep us from your best. And God, I I can't presume to know what you want to do in this church. I don't know. But Lord, I'm praying that you would call out the faith of some that need healing, that need a touch from God. They may be like Jairus and they may pray for someone in their family. That it may not be them that's sick. And they may go like Jairus on behalf of a family member. But Lord, there may be like a woman here like that in the story where she came through the crowds. She didn't care what it made her look like. And she fell at the feet of Jesus. So Father, I, my simple prayer is that you would bring faith where there needs to be faith for healing. And as we continue to pray, as you pray in your seats, there may be one here today that You've never experienced the greatest miracle, and that's Jesus coming into your life. And every week we give you a chance to receive the good news that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He was buried and he rose on the third day so that you don't have to die in your sins. You can have eternal life. So if you've never believed that and repented of your sins right where you're sitting, just say this, Jesus, I know the greatest miracle is a relationship with you. So Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. You died in my place and you rose again so that I could have new life. So, Jesus, I invite you into my life. I'm sorry for my sins. I turn from them and I make you my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, Amen. This time our ushers are going to come forward. And as they come, I'm just going to give a few brief instructions.
Uh, we're going to take up our tithes and offerings. And while this is going on, there's going to be a music video called Healing Waters. And basically the song says that Jesus is the healing waters. And we need his waters to flow over us. So I'm going to be at the front of my ass, Tom and um, Stephen, to come on up to the front. I'm going to be at the front, Miss Judy. And after the ushers um, take up the offering, the ushers will come on down. We're going to pray with the offering. After the ushers pass through, as the music plays, if you need a healing touch, we're going to be here to anoint you with the oil, as the scriptures say. There's nothing magical in the oil, but it's finding a tangible contact point to release your faith. And then if you have any other prayer concerns, come on down. And Miss Judy also will be at the front to pray with you. So let us pray. Father, we are moved by the message today. Do not fear, only believe. So Father, in the first service, we saw several people come forward and get anointed and release their faith. And I pray that this service, for those that you're dealing with, that they need healing and they need a breakthrough, they need a miracle that they would just trust in your timing and in your will, and they would release that faith at this moment in time. So when they look back tomorrow and the next day and the pain happens, they can say, at this day to Arden First, I release my faith, and I'm trusting in him and his timing and his provision. Lord, we thank you for financial provision for this church. God, we pray that as the vision gets bigger, your provision will match it and surpass it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So as the music plays, we can go and play the video. If you have a need, just come on down. The ushers, you can go and pass the plates. So this is your response time to give. And also, if you have prayer concerns, we'll have some prayer partners at the front. So respond as the Lord leads.